Well, as you are well aware, this is the last Sunday of 1997. And it's only appropriate that in this weekend we would talk about time. All of 1997 we've been talking about holiness, and we of course have reached the conclusion that there is only one that is holy, and that's God, and therefore our holiness really doesn't have to do specifically with our self-improvement ideas, nor our behavioral revisions, although that uh, will, re will result uh, from holiness. Our holiness has everything to do with housing God, with, with the character and therefore the characteristics of God being in us. If there's only one holy, there's only one way we can be holy, and that is to have God living in us and through us. And in these last weeks of the year, we've talked about some of the more unpredictable characteristics that God has. Some of the more, I think, endearing characteristics that God has. Um, we've talked about the strange places that he extends his holiness. Uh, really not traditionally religious places. We've talked about the strange people into which he has put his holiness. Uh, not what you'd think as traditionally religious people. Some of them are a little bit unbalanced, actually. Now, today and tonight, I'd like to talk about God's strange timing. I don't know how many of you get frustrated with God because when you're ready for stuff, He doesn't seem to be ready for stuff. When you're all ready, when you think God should have done it by now, He hadn't done it yet. Because God has His own schedule. And he doesn't remit the calendar to us. It is a very sometimes troubling aspect of waiting for God to move when you think he should have moved already. And, and you ask yourself this question, what's he waiting on? Why, why, why is this thing not being done? It should have been done by now. Why? why? When you think of the history of how long he took to prepare a people to look forward to the Messiah, thousands of years, literally, to get a people ready to receive Jesus Christ. And you wonder, why didn't he do it in the first place? Why didn't he start out with Jesus and let people just kind of learn from there? You can really only come up to one answer to that question, and this has to be it. That preparation is absolutely crucial to participation. Preparation is absolutely crucial to participation. Now, if you experience this in your everyday life, you'll know that this really isn't rocket science, it's just common sense. Those of you who like to eat hot meals, will know that you don't just go to uh, the refrigerator, or for example, open up and say, well, I think I'll just eat a steak and just pull the steak out and start chewing on it. Uh, it's much better if you prepare the, spe the steak. And the better you prepare the steak, the more you're able to participate in the eating of that steak and experience fully that steak in your life. Because preparation is crucial to participation. My uh, son and daughter-in-law just told us a few days ago that, uh, uh, God willing, uh, this summer we're going to be grandparents for the first time. 
We're really, we're excited about that. Now, I got to tell you that it, it, when, and, and this was the way with, with all of you, I suspect, uh, this is a scary time because this gestation stuff is pretty important. And, and, you, and you want God to take his own good, sweet time, all the time he wants, to prepare that little fella or little gal, um, just, just and, and wait for just the right time for his or her appearing. I don't want to see him now. I don't want to see her now. I want that preparation to be well done, and, 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 and the more well done it is, the more we'll be able to participate in her life, you see. So God is in the business not just in appearing, but God is in the business of preparing us fully. And that preparation time is participation with God. Now, <clears throat> let's look at just three things real quickly tonight. First of all, I want you to see the biblical concept of time. There are, there are two main words in Greek. Uh, there are also two in Hebrew, but we'll stick with the Greek because it's simpler. Two main words in Greek that talk about the meaning of time. The first word is chronos. Um, um, I put, that, put this a little wrong in your, uh, in your uh, sermon outline. Uh, if you turn to Matthew uh, chapter 2, verse, uh, se verses 7 and 16, you'll see the, you'll see the word. Um, Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time that the star had appeared. He's trying to figure out the segments of time. Chronos is the word from which we get chronology. And basically, chronos is the division of time. It's how we segment time. Uh, there's no real differences in the, in the, in the uh, quality difference in the, in the word chronos. Uh, it's just, well, it's, it's seconds or months or days or weeks or years or whatever. But that's chronos. That's chronology. Now, that's not to say that all of those segments don't add up to something because in the Bible, time is always moving toward a purpose. Time is always moving toward a culmination. And so those segments of time aren't really empty. They're mounting up towards something. Now, that can be good or bad. Uh, it says in, the, in 1 Timothy uh, 4.1, it says, But the Spirit explicitly says in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, and so on and so forth. So, so there, there can be bad results as well as good results, but, but it will result in something. There's a, there's a cumulative value of time. I heard a story the other day about a guy. Uh, he's been in a, he was in a position that many of you and I uh, have been in, and he was paying a traffic ticket for speeding. And uh, you know how unpleasant that is. You go down a and you're not in a good mood, so this guy was, was paying him. He paid the clerk of the court, and and, uh, and she handed him her seat, and he said, well, what do I do with this? Just kind of angry about it. And she smiled at him sweetly, and she said, well, why don't you save it? You know, if you get enough of those, you get a bicycle. <laughs> There's a cumulative value. Maybe bad or maybe good, but there is an effect that mounts up <laughs> 
over a period of time. So every segment of time has an importance, not just in and of itself, but what it's going toward. But there's a second word in Greek in, in, in Scripture, and that is kairos. Kairos is the ripeness of time. There are certain times in life that are more ready than other times. There are certain times in life that are, that are uh, where God can, will intervene. Uh, certain times when things click, that they, that they don't click at any other time. Um, um, and there are certain times in culture. Um, the certain people, for example, have a sense of timing in a conversation as to when, when some things will go good and some things won't go so good. People who don't have that sense of timing usually clobber themselves when they're trying to communicate. People who do have that sense of timing, oh, this would be a good time to bring this up, uh, usually succeed in communication. Same thing is true with the culture in general. Those, there are many people who can read the signs of the times. That is, the culture is this way or that way. It said that, by the way, in First Chronicles. Uh, by the way, we get uh, chronicles from the word chronos. First uh, Chronicles, uh, chapter 12, verse 32, it talks about the sons of Issachar and how had, they had this sense of time. And it says, And the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. So there is this sense that there are special times that are ripe and full for certain things to happen. Let me give you a very simple example. Some of you can remember the time when you first trusted Christ for, to be your Savior. Um, and, and, and for most of you, that was not the first time you'd ever heard the gospel. As a matter of fact, according to uh, uh, surveys done by the Billy Graham organization, um, the average is a person will hear the gospel 17 times before they actually, it actually registers that, hey, this is for me. Now you've got to ask yourself, why in the world, the first time you hear the gospel, would you not say, man, that's for me? Why in the world? I mean, think of this. Think of the terms. It makes absolute perfect sense. You can't earn your way to heaven. Nobody's good enough to earn their way to heaven. We're all boogerheads. We're all sinners. So you never be good enough to be in heaven. Everybody agrees. Yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Number two, you can't pay for your own sins because you already owe everything to God anyhow. So how are you going to pay for your own sins? You say, oh, I'll be better. We already owe that to God. How are you going to pay for your own sins? Number three, if God is just, somebody's got to pay for your sins. Number four, if God is just, only God can pay for your sins. I mean, the payment has to be made, so God has to make a payment. So God himself makes that payment on the cross with his own life. Jesus never sinned, and so therefore he didn't owe anything to the Father. And so therefore, his, his sacrifice becomes the payment for our sins. He becomes the substitutionary sacrifice. And what he does on the cross pays for our sin, and it's offered to us, that payment, that relationship with God is offered to us as an absolute free gift. All we need to do is accept it, and we can have that relationship with God and follow Him all the days of our lives. Now tell me, any straight-thinking person, who would not want that? I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. But how many times do people hear that 
before they finally get to the place where they go, wait a minute, I need that. Wait a minute, he offers that to me. I can have an eternal life with Christ. I can have eternal life. Now you've got to ask yourself, what happened the other 16 times? Well, the answer is, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know what we were thinking. But at some point in our life, the time was ripe. And then, when the time is ripe, and when you commit your life to Christ, you look back over the rest of these times, and you see how God was preparing you every step of the way. They weren't wasted times. God was preparing you. Those weren't empty times. They were simply preparatory times. And they, in a way, were almost as important as this, this revelation time. And so in Scripture, there are two, two kinds of time, both of them very important. Now, if that's true in Scripture then what does that have to do with the way we live our lives, with the way we arrange our schedules? Well, this is very important to note. God, by promising us those absolutely rich times, those times when He does interrupt history to come to us personally, those ripe times, by promising us those times what that does is it gives us a choice. We can either spend the rest of the times just waiting for the big times, or we can actually live more fully in the rest of the times. The world says this, look, there are only a few big times in life, and so what you ought to do is hope for those big times and just wait for them to get here and expend as little energy as possible until they do get here. We're living, uh, we're, you, you probably saw the paper today and already uh, in these last few days of the year, we will hear story after story about what were the significant events of 1997. What were the top stories of 1997? You know what that does? That builds into us a mentality that there were a few noteworthy events in 1997 and the rest was basically a waste of time, regular life. That's the mentality of the world. That is not the mentality of God. Look, as a matter of fact, at Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. <coughs> Pardon me. It says this. It's a prayer to God. And it says, so teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. Let me put that a little bit differently. Teach us, God, that every day counts. Every day counts. How many of you have imbibed the spirit of the world that says, you know, if, if I can only have this, then I'll really start living. If I can only get this relationship or get this relationship right, then life will start in earnest. If I can only get this job, then, then it's going to be great. I can't wait till I can make enough money to relax and I've got this financial pressure off me. I can't wait till I have uh, this accomplishment in, in my life and then, then it'll be great. Well, I understand hoping for those big things. Everybody hopes for big things. But here's the question. What do you do with the other 98% of your time? 
Is that not important? Is that not really life? You see, most people just wait from one big event to the next and waste the rest of their lives. That's not what the Bible says to do. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says if you can be sure by faith that God, according to his own schedule, according to his own calendar, is going to meet out to you those big times, then what happens with the rest of the times is they become more meaningful. Years ago, when they were building the Golden, uh, Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, it was, a, it was a horrendously dangerous project. You can imagine they didn't have all the safety equipment they have today, all of the harnesses and so on and so forth. And so they were probably halfway or three-quarters of the way through this, and 23 of those workers had fallen to their death already. The one who was building the bridge, this, this weighed on him tremendously, and so he... he, he he could not rest until he thought of a safety device. And what he did was design and pay for this huge net that fit under the section of the bridge that they were working on. From the time that net got there until they actually finished the bridge, ten more had fallen, but not one of them was seriously hurt. Now that's a huge payoff, isn't it? for a big moment of your life. But let me tell you the other payoff of building that net. The productivity of every worker on that bridge went up 25% as soon as that net was there. Why? Because they understood now that they were safe, they can put their full effort into producing something into constructing something. Again, let me ask you, do you really trust God with your schedule? Because if you do, your full effort can go into producing something. Most people worry about messing up their entire lives, and they worry about it all the time, and they expend tremendous amounts of energy. If I do this, I'm going to ruin my life. If I say this to my kid, I'm going to scar them forever. If I, if, I, if I say this to a friend, it's just going to absolutely obliterate that friend. What if I say the wrong thing? But watch this. When you trust God for that safety net, when you say, you know, the big times of life, God's in charge of those. And he'll bring them at the appropriate times. What happens is you relax enough that you can actually be productive. You can actually count on God for the, for the scheduling of, of, of the important events because they're not all up to you anymore. So God says, teach us that every day, or we, the, the Bible says, teach us, God, that every day counts. Every chronological moment counts. Every one of them can be filled and dedicated to you. And it also says, but I realize that you're gonna, you're going, you are going to have times in my life when you, just, when you just, the world opens up. And I don't know when they're coming. But I know you'll bring them at just the right time. Somebody gave me a book for Christmas. They know I love books. And, and so they uh, gave me a book on uh, oh, the way kids have heard Bible stories, what they hear in their brains. Because what we say and what kids hear in their brains are two different things. And so they, they interviewed these kids about about the stories in the Bible. Tell, tell us this story in your words. 
And so they were interviewing uh, this one set of uh, kids. I forget how old they were, fourth grade or third grade or whatever. And, uh, and uh, they, they, were, they were asking them, how did God, what did God say to Moses to give him enough courage to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? Because you know he was scared to do that. And this one little boy says, oh, I can tell you that. He said, he said, as a matter of fact, I can tell you what God said. God went to Moses and says, Moses, relax. He says, when the time is just right, my boy Jesus is going to open up the ocean for you. I love that. I love that. I wonder if all of us could not hear. I wonder if all of us could not hear in the words of that boy, the voice of God saying, you know what, relax. When the time's just right, my boy Jesus is going to open up the sea for you. You've got to count on that when the time is just right. Now, the third thing then is not only what does that do with our schedules and the way we work, but what does it do with us as people? What kind of people result from understanding God's timing? I'll tell you, a very important aspect of our lives. It changes how we gear our makeup as people. Most people live their lives as if there were crucial events and they've got to be so ready for their cru those crucial events that they reserve all the energy to sprint during those crucial events. There are very few people who understand that life is a marathon. Very few people. Now, the engine, so to speak, in someone who sprints is different than the engine in someone who runs a marathon. Uh, as a matter of fact, I remember in 1986, the first people, uh, Dick Rattan and Jeannie Yeager, the first people who flew nonstop around the globe, had made a plane specifically for that. And this were the two um, characteristics of that plane. The engine was small and economical, and the wingspan was huge. Why? Because in order to make that long a trip, you had to make use of all of the currents of the air. And you couldn't take up too much fuel at any given time. Let me recommend the same thing for the arrangement of us. You know, I, I know people who just, who just save up all of their energy for important times. But what we really need to do is just kind of coast using what God gives us from day to day, the manna that God gives us from day to day, so that we can make the long journey. Because every mile is important. Every mile is important. And when God gives you those special times, guess what he's going to give you to go along with it? The special energy and resources you need to meet those special times. When they come. Not beforehand. When they come. That's always how he has worked. You've got to count on that. Let me tell you one more story and then I'll quit. This is interesting to me. I love... Uh, 
I loved reading Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter. That's one of the classics of all time. I don't know how many of you realize how that thing got written. Nathaniel Hawthorne was a frustrated writer because he never could get to this work because he had to earn a living like everybody else. One day, he went to work, got fired, unintentionally got fired. He came home, and he looked at his wife, and he said, this is horrible. I've been fired. His wife looked at him and said, great! He said, what? She said, I am so grateful. That is so great. Now you can write your novel. He looked at her and said, you don't understand here. We have no income. How are we supposed to live while I do this thing? His wife goes over to the drawer, reaches in, and pulls out a wad of money. He looked at her and said, where did you get that? She said, I have always believed that you were the greatest writer alive, and I prayed that someday God would give you a chance to write your novel. And so, out of the money I had to manage the household, every day I saved a little bit so that when God gave you that chance, we could live. I want to tell you something. When God gives you a chance, whether it comes in a good form or a bad form, for a significant thing in your life, He will provide the resources. You've got to count on that. And you've got to live free and deep and constructively in between those times. Pray with me. Oh God, we confess that we are an impatient people. We confess that we want other people to arrange their lives um, in a different form and quickly. We want circumstances to be different and quickly. We want ourselves to be different and quickly. But God, when we want that, we also confess that we try to take things out of your hands and try to manipulate people and circumstances and even our own feelings in artificial ways because we don't trust your calendar. We only uh, pay attention to our need. And so therefore tonight, we would pray that you would give us the faith to run the marathon. You would give us the faith to trust you with the big things and the little things, with the monumental times and the little daily segments, and help us to respond and do the next right thing, whether in big or little, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask the prayer team to come forward and invite any of you after this benediction that would love to pray with someone tonight to come and pray with them especially if this was your night to trust Christ for the first time. You may want to know what to do next. And they could pray with you, and they could uh, direct you into your next steps. And some of you I know are going through tremendous tumult in your lives right now, just tremendous transition times. And this, this sermon has just smacked you right between the eyes. And you want some other voice to stand with you and say, God's in control. God's got a purpose for this. And, and if, if whatever your need, uh, whether it be healing, reconciliation, reassurance, these folks would be glad to pray with you.
Now let me give you, if, if, if it's okay, just kind of a lengthy benediction. I want to read to you uh, from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, just a scriptural reassurance for what I've said. There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And then verse 11 says this. I love this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, without which man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Let us go from here, seeking God's purpose in every event of our lives, rejoicing that He has a purpose in doing the good you know to do. Amen.